Hello and welcome to Alice is Everywhere. My name is Heather. Today we will be reading and discussing Chapter 9 of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland entitled The Mock Turtle's Story. If you'll recall, in Chapter 8, Alice finally found her way into that lovely garden she'd been trying to get to for almost the entire book, but it turned out the garden was the Queen of Hearts croquet ground, and the Queen of Hearts is a crazy person, so reaching this goal was probably not all Alice had hoped for. The chapter ends with the executioner running to fetch the Duchess, because all good children's books have executioners, and because the Duchess is the Cheshire Cat's owner, and the King and Queen were not very happy with the Cheshire Cat's disembodied head hanging out and talking with people. So I'm sure you can guess the Duchess is about to make another appearance. I think I've got my Duchess voice down pretty well, which is more than I can say for my Hatter's voice. I just listened to the Mad Tea Party episode before posting it, and man, I guess I never really settled on what voice I would use for the Hatter. It changed many times throughout the chapter. I apologize if that was confusing for anyone. I'll tell you what, Johnny Depp changed his voice and accent several times throughout his portrayal of the Hatter in the 2010 Alice in Wonderland movie, so... We'll just call my butchering his voice an homage to that performance. Yeah, that's a ticket. The Dormouse voice I was happy with. The Dormouse is solid. Yeah, Hatter's is another story. Hey, let's get back to our story, shall we? I hope you guys like puns. Chapter 9, The Mock Turtle's Story You can't think how glad I am to see you again, you dear old thing said the Duchess, as she tucked her arm affectionately into Alice's, and they walked off together. Alice was very glad to find her in such a pleasant temper, and thought to herself that perhaps it was only the pepper that had made her so savage when they met in the kitchen. When I am a Duchess, she said to herself, not in a very hopeful tone, though, I won't have any pepper in my kitchen at all. Soup does very well without. Maybe it's always pepper that makes people hot-tempered, she went on, very much pleased at having found out a new kind of rule and vinegar that makes them sour, and chamomile that makes them bitter, and and barley sugar, and such things that make children sweet-tempered. I only wish people knew that. Then they wouldn't be so stingy about it, you know. She had quite forgotten the Duchess by this time, and was a little startled when she heard her voice close to her ear. You're thinking about something, my dear, and that makes you forget to talk. I can't tell you just now what the moral of that is, but I shall remember it in a bit. Perhaps it hasn't one, Alice ventured to remark. Tut, tut, child, said the Duchess. Everything's got a moral, if only you can find it. And she squeezed herself up closer to Alice's side as she spoke. Alice did not much like her keeping so close to her, first because the Duchess was very ugly, and secondly because she was just exactly the right height to rest her chin on Alice's shoulder. And it was an uncomfortably sharp chin. However, she did not like to be rude, so she bore it as well as she could. The game's going on rather better now, she said, by way of keeping up the conversation a little. Tis so, said the Duchess, and the moral of that is, oh, tis love, tis love that makes the world go round. Somebody said, Alice whispered, that it's done by everybody minding their own business. Ah, well, it means much the same thing, said the Duchess, digging her sharp little chin into Alice's shoulder as she added, and the moral of that is, take care of the sense, and the sounds will take care of themselves. How fond she is of finding morals in things, Alice thought to herself. I dare say you're wondering why I don't put my arm around your waist, the Duchess said after a pause. The reason is that I'm doubtful about the temper of your flamingo. Shall I try the experiment? 
he might bite, Alice cautiously replied, not feeling at all anxious to have the experiment tried. Very true, said the Duchess. Flamingos and mustard both bite. And the moral of that is, birds of a feather flock together. Only mustard isn't a bird, Alice remarked. Right as usual, said the Duchess. What a clear way you have of putting things. It's a mineral, I think, said Alice. Of course it is, said the Duchess, who seemed ready to agree to everything that Alice said. There's a large mustard mine near here. And the moral of that is, the more there is of mine, the less there is of yours. Oh, I know, exclaimed Alice, who had not attended to this last remark. It's a vegetable. It doesn't look like one, but it is. I quite agree with you, said the Duchess. And the moral of that is, be what you would seem to be, or, if you'd like to put it more simply, never imagine yourself not to be otherwise than what it might appear to others that what you were or might have been was not otherwise than what you had been would have appeared to them to be otherwise. I think I should understand that better, Alice said very politely, if I had it written down, but I can't seem to quite follow it as you say it. That's nothing to what I could say if I chose, the Duchess replied in a pleased tone. "'Pray don't trouble yourself to say it any longer than that,' said Alice. "'Oh, don't talk about trouble,' said the Duchess. "'I make you a present of everything I've said as of yet.' "'A cheap sort of present,' thought Alice. "'I'm glad people don't give birthday presents like that.' "'But she did not venture to say it out loud. "'Thinking again?' the Duchess asked, with another dig of her sharp little chin. "'I've a right to think,' said Alice sharply, for she was beginning to feel a little worried. "'Just about as much right,' said the Duchess, "'as pigs have to fly, and the more—' But here, to Alice's great surprise, the Duchess's voice died away, even in the middle of her favorite word, moral, and the arm that was linked into hers began to tremble. Alice looked up, and there stood the queen in front of them, with her arms folded, frowning like a thunderstorm. A fine day, your majesty, the Duchess began in a low, weak voice. Now, I give you fair warning, shouted the queen, stamping on the ground as she spoke. Either you or your head must be off, and that in about half no time. Take your choice. The Duchess took her choice and was gone in a moment. "'Let's go on with the game,' the Queen said to Alice, and Alice was too much frightened to say a word, but slowly followed her back to the croquet ground. The other guests had taken advantage of the Queen's absence and were resting in the shade. However, the moment they saw her, they hurried back to the game, the Queen merely remarking that a moment's delay would cost them their lives. All the time they were playing, the Queen never left off quarreling with the other players and shouting, "'Off with his head!' or "'Off with her head!' Those whom she sentenced were taken into custody by the soldiers, who of course had to leave off being arches to do this, so that by the end of half an hour or so, there were no arches left, and all the players, except the king, the queen, and Alice, were in custody and under sentence of execution. Then the queen left off, quite out of breath, and said to Alice, "'Have you seen the mock turtle yet?' "'No,' said Alice. "'I don't even know what a mock turtle is.' "'It's a thing mock turtle soup is made from,' said the queen." I never saw one or heard of one, said Alice. Come on, then, said the queen, and he shall tell you his history. As they walked off together, Alice heard the king say in a low voice to the company generally, You were all pardoned. Come, that's a good thing, she said to herself, for she had felt quite unhappy at the number of executions the queen had ordered. They very soon came upon a griffin, lying fast asleep in the sun. If you don't know what a griffin is, look at the picture. Up, lazy thing, said the queen, and take this young lady to see the mock turtle and to hear his story. I must go back and see after some executions I have ordered. And she walked off, leaving Alice alone with the griffin. Alice did not quite like the look of the creature, but on the whole she thought it would be quite as safe to stay with it as to go after the savage queen, so she waited. The griffin sat up and rubbed its eyes. Then it watched the queen till she was out of sight. Then it chuckled. What fun, said the griffin, half to itself, half to Alice. 
What is the fun? said Alice. Why, she, said the griffin. It's all her fancy, that. They never executes nobody, you know. Come on. Everybody says come on here, thought Alice, as she went slowly after it. I never was so ordered about before in all my life. Never. They had not gone far before they saw the mock turtle in the distance, sitting sad and lonely on a little ledge of rock, and as they came nearer, Alice could hear him sighing as if his heart would break. She pitied him deeply. What is his sorrow? she asked the griffin, and the griffin answered very nearly in the same words as before. It's all his fancy, that. He hasn't got no sorrow, you know. Come on. So they went up to the mock turtle, who looked at them with large eyes full of tears, but said nothing. This here young lady, said the griffin, she wants for to know your history, she do. I'll tell it her, said the mock turtle in a deep, hollow tone. Sit down, both of you, and don't speak a word till I've finished. So they sat down, and nobody spoke for some minutes. Alice thought to herself, I don't see how he can ever finish if he doesn't begin. But she waited patiently. Once, said the mock turtle at last, with a deep sigh, I was a real turtle. These words were followed by a very long silence, broken only by an occasional exclamation of Hikshura from the griffin, and the constant heavy sobbing of the mock turtle. Alice was very nearly getting up and saying, Thank you, sir, for your interesting story, but she could not help thinking there must be more to come, so she sat still and said nothing. When we were little... The Mock Turtle went on at last, more calmly, though still sobbing a little now and then. We went to school in the sea. The master was an old turtle. We used to call him Tortoise. Why did you call him Tortoise if he wasn't one? Alice asked. We called him Tortoise because he taught us, said the Mock Turtle angrily. Really, you are very dull. You ought to be ashamed of yourself for asking such a simple question added the griffin, and then they both sat silent and looked at poor Alice, who felt ready to sink under the earth. At last the griffin said to the mock turtle, Drive on, old fellow, don't be all day about it. And he went on in these words. Yes, we went to school in the sea, though you mayn't believe it. I never said I didn't, interrupted Alice. You did, said the mock turtle. Hold your tongue, added the griffin, before Alice could speak again. The mock turtle went on. We had the best of educations. In fact, we went to school every day. I've been to day school, too, said Alice. You needn't be so proud as all that. With extras? asked the Mock Turtle a little anxiously. Yes, said Alice. We learned French and music. And washing? said the Mock Turtle. Certainly not, said Alice indignantly. Ah, then yours wasn't a really good school, said the Mock Turtle in a tone of great relief. Now at ours, they had, at the end of the bill, French, music, and washing extra. You couldn't have wanted it much, said Alice, living at the bottom of the sea. I couldn't afford to learn it, said the Mock Turtle with a sigh. I only took the regular course. What was that? inquired Alice. Reeling and writhing, of course, to begin with, the Mock Turtle replied. And then the different branches of arithmetic, ambition, distraction, uglification, and derision. Well, I never heard of uglification, Alice ventured to say. What is it? The griffin lifted up both its paws in surprise. Never heard of uglifying, it exclaimed. You know what to beautify is, I suppose. Yes, said Alice doubtfully. It means to make anything prettier. Well then, the griffin went on, if you don't know what to uglify is, you are a simpleton. Alice did not feel encouraged to ask any more questions about it, so she turned to the mock turtle and said, What else had you to learn? Well, there was mystery, the mock turtle replied, counting off the subjects on his flappers. Mystery, ancient and modern, with seaography, 
Then drawling. The drawling master was an old conger eel that used to come once a week. He taught us drawling, stretching, and fainting in coils. What was that like, said Alice. Well, I can't show it you myself, the mock turtle said. I'm too stiff, and the griffin never learnt it. Hadn't time, said the griffin. I went to the classical master, though. He was an old crab, he was. I never went to him, the mock turtle said with a sigh. He taught laughing and grief, they used to say. So he did, so he did, said the griffin, sighing in his turn, and both creatures hid their faces in their paws. And how many hours a day did you do lessons, said Alice, in a hurry to change the subject. Ten hours the first day, said the mock turtle, nine the next, and so on. What a curious plan, exclaimed Alice. That's the reason they're called lessons, the griffin remarked, because they lessen from day to day. This was quite a new idea to Alice, and she thought it over a little before she made her next remark. Then the eleventh day must have been a holiday. Of course it was, said the mock turtle. And how did you manage on the twelfth? Alice went on eagerly. That's enough about lessons, the griffin interrupted in a very decided tone. Tell her something about the games now. That's enough about lessons. Have you guys noticed that whenever Alice asks a difficult question in this book, whoever she is talking to immediately changes the subject? During the med tea party, she asks the hatter what happens when they've made it all the way around the table and there's no clean dishes left. And the march hare interrupts and says, suppose we change the subject, I vote the young lady tells us a story. Now she asks the mock turtle what happens at school on the 12th day. And the griffin interrupts and says, that's enough about lessons, tell her something about the games now. You know, it actually never occurred to me until just this moment that both times it is a third party that enters the conversation to change the subject. The March Hare jumps in and rescues his pal Hatter, and the Griffin jumps in and rescues a Mock Turtle. Hmm. I have no idea if that's significant or not. Probably not. Probably not. Chapter 9 starts with the Duchess pulling a complete 180 and being very nice to Alice. Very weird, but very nice. Note how she never asked what happened to her baby, though. Hmm. What she does do, however, is attempt to find a moral in every single sentence that's uttered. We get a quotable quote from the Duchess when she says, Everything's got a moral, if only you can find it. One of the morals she spouts off is, Tis love, tis love, that makes the world go round which is an idea from Dante's Divine Comedy, by the way, and also countless songwriters over the years. Alice hisses back that somebody said that it's done by everybody minding their own business. I'm going to make an admission here. I never realized until very recently that Alice is referring to the Duchess. The Duchess said that in Chapter 6. If everybody minded their own business, the world would go round a deal faster than it does. It was only three chapters earlier. I don't know why it never occurred to me. And we've talked about how Alice has gotten progressively bolder throughout the book. I guess I thought she was just being exceptionally bold here. Somebody said that it's done by everybody minding their own business. Like she was having like some kind of dirty hairy moment? I don't know. I can't really explain away my stupidity there. At some point in the conversation, the Duchess and Alice try to determine whether mustard is an animal, vegetable, or mineral. Animal, vegetable, or mineral was a parlor game in Victorian times, kind of like 20 questions, a guessing game. Several times throughout the conversation, it's made clear that the Duchess is totally invading Alice's personal space and that she was just the right height to dig her chin 
into Alice's shoulder. <sighs> this part always makes me think of my oldest brother. You know how older siblings, they can't inflict actual physical harm on younger members of the family, so they have to think of creative ways to torture you? My brother would pin us down and dig his really sharp chin on various body parts, usually the middle of the upper back, and oh my gosh, was that painful. He called it the attack of the chin. But I digress. The queen appears and tells the duchess she can leave or be beheaded, so understandably the duchess chooses to leave. Alice and the queen go back to playing croquet, and of course within minutes the queen has sentenced everybody to death once again. Then she turns to Alice and says, have you seen the mock turtle yet? Alice says no, and the queen insists that she go and hear his history. I've never understood this part, which is saying a lot when you consider that I've never questioned anything else in the book, such as hookah smoking caterpillars, or growing or shrinking at will, or endless tea parties. I've just never understood why it's so important to the queen that Alice go and hang out with the mock turtle. And honestly, I feel like it kind of puts a story on hold. The whole book up until this point has appeared to be a journey, with the garden being the ultimate destination, but now we're going to go elsewhere, away from the action. But you know what? This is nonsense literature, so why am I even asking? Why shouldn't the queen randomly insist Alice do something seemingly nonsensical? The queen orders the griffin to take Alice to the mock turtle, and the text of the book actually says, if you don't know what a griffin is, look at the picture. Which is pretty thoughtless of Lewis Carroll. It's like he never thought about someone doing a podcast of his book in the future. So selfish. Anyway, you can go to the accompanying blog post on aliceseverywhere.com to see the picture he refers to. I will tell you that the griffin is half eagle, half lion. The eagle's the top half, lion's the bottom half. The griffin is a very likable character, I think, because he assures us that the queen, fancying that she's putting everybody to death, is just for fun. The mock turtle's severe depression is just for fun. The whole book's just for fun, folks. Nobody gets hurt. This could not be more perfectly evidenced by the mock turtle story. My goodness, the puns. The tortoise taught us lessons, lesson from day to day, drawling, reeling, writhing. There's just so many. Alice gets sassy once again and tells mock turtle he needn't be so proud of going to day school, which sets up an exchange that is funny all on its own, but even funnier when you know the origin. The mock turtle asks, if she's learned extras. Alice says yes, she learned French and music. He asks if she's learned washing as well. Apparently, at old-timey boarding schools, there would often be signs out front that said French music and laundry extra, which meant that you would have to pay extra for your kids to learn music and French and to get their laundry done by the school. They weren't teaching the kids how to do laundry. Well, really, that's a pretty valuable skill. I wouldn't be against that. I'm going to leave you today with some thoughts about the mock turtle. He is illustrated by John Tenniel as having the body and shell of a turtle with a cow's head, tail, and hooves. Now you'll recall that the queen told Alice a mock turtle is what mock turtle soup is made from. I hope no one's eating while listening to this. Mock turtle soup was indeed a sort of imitation turtle soup. It was basically a big gelatinous mess made from whatever was left over of a veal calf after butchering, usually the head, tail, and hooves. Ew. Just so that's not the last thing you hear today, let's talk about why he's crying. I have not spent much time around sea turtles. Apparently, they often look like they're crying. This is a mock crying. They're not really sad. 
That's just their eyes getting rid of all the salt water that's accumulated in their bodies. I had that little factoid in my notes and I wanted to read more about it. So I started to Google turtles look like they are crying. And one of Google's first autocomplete suggestions was ninja turtles look like black guys, which is neither here nor there. I had just never personally thought about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles race or ethnicity before, but apparently I'm in the minority because enough people have Googled Ninja Turtles look like black guys that Google makes it an autocomplete for anything about turtles. What a perfect note to end on. Hey, I'll see you next time when we will not discuss the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We'll read Chapter 10, The Lobster Quadrille. If you've got any questions or comments, please join the discussion on social media. I am Alice is Everywhere on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and Google+. And on Twitter and Pinterest, I am Everywhere Alice. If I don't see you online, talk soon.